Hello, everyone, and welcome to the First Intuition podcast. This is another one of our industry-specific um, specials. So hot on the heels of the football and finance and food and finance and fashion and finance, we are now looking at the construction industry. So we, I think we'd run out of, of industries beginning with F to alliterate with finance. I think this one's been called the cost of construction. We've got a panel of experts um, in, the, in the field of construction. I'm actually kind of really, really excited to ask some questions here because it, it's... I think this this particular industry forum has come up at, at, at a time when um, economically in the UK we are being hit by a number of different things. Um, so we're being hit by kind of record levels of inflation, definitely record levels of inflation in my lifetime. And you know, whenever I see construction, I'm seeing lots and lots of stuff being put together to make a building or to, to make a, a railway or a motorway. All of those things are going to have been impacted by inflation. And we're also seeing quite sharp interest rate rises, de definitely interest rate rises that you know, we haven't seen for kind of 15 years or so. Um, and and you know, those things, you know, when you're making big capital purchases you know, and, and you're looking at raising finance to do so, interest rates are going to have an impact on those. So I think it's a really nice time to, um, to, to talk about the construction industry. It may not be a nice time to be kind of actually there at the coalface with all that kind of uncertainty, but it is something that um, I, I do often think of different industries as I hear different pieces of news and definitely construction has been something I've been thinking of over recent times. We have got ourselves a, um, a panel. Um, of, of experts that can talk very intelligently about the world of finance and construction. So I'm going to introduce our panel. There is one panel member that will be logging in um, at fairly shortly. So it might be the case I have to do an introduction a little bit later on. But I'm, I'm going to start with, um, with the first of my panel, which is um, someone that actually contacted me to on the back of some of our previous forums and said, why don't you do a forum about the construction industry. It's an industry that um, lots of my clients are involved in, and I think it's something that would bring lots of value to people in that industry. So um, thank you very much for, for suggesting this. I'm going to introduce you to David Rudd. So um, hi, David. Um, could you just say a little bit about who you are and, and what your kind of involvement in the in the construction industry yeah, is? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. My name is David Rudd. I've worked as, a, as an accountant for over 15 years now. Um, most of that has been dealing with uh, construction clients. So we've kind of seen uh, what happens with the numbers and, and kind of how they're impacted. Kind of went through COVID, went through the prior recession and, and kind of saw how that impacted things. I work uh, for Stephen Burton & Co. And we're a relatively small accountancy practice in Essex. Uh, seven of us and actually two of our team uh, study with you guys at First Intuition. So um yeah, we tend to work with small to medium-sized um, owner-managed businesses. Um, and the reason for that is we, we can kind of be part of their team and we kind of help them along with all of the stuff that comes at them. And in construction, there's a lot that comes at, at the guys in construction. So um, that's why we love it, really. Our client base is probably 60% construction clients. Um, and it, it has been for a while. So we've, we've definitely got a tilt on construction. So... Uh, yeah, interesting to hear from the guys on the panel today as well. Excellent. Thanks, David. And it, it, I always get fascinated when I speak to people in different accountancy practices because 
every practice almost seems to have its own specialism. Um, you know, and when you become a specialist in a certain area, it kind of things snowball and you get more clients in that area. And you know, from my limited knowledge of, of um, kind of construction, I know that there is a lot of regulation that it only, only applies to construction. And that, that's right across how we account for things. But then there are special rules in terms of taxation, things like VAT. There are special rules with certain types of construction and VAT. There are rules in terms of how you deal with subcontractors, which is something that's, a, 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 as far as it's a mystical art to me. Um, but I know for you guys, it was something that you see all the time. So um, yeah, really, really interesting. I think to hear what those kind of different firms, different firms, kind of how they've got those specialisms and what kind of things are so unique in those industries. I'm, I'm going to move along to my next member of the panel. So uh, my next member of the panel is, is Carl Clements. So welcome, Carl. Could you just kind of give a bit of background as to who you are, who you work for, and kind of really what, what your business, what the business you work for kind of does and how it operates and really what its kind of key areas of construction are? Yeah, no problem. So yeah, afternoon all. Um, so my name's Carl Clements. I'm a senior finance manager for Balfour Beatty. Um, Balfour Beatty is a leading international infrastructure group. So we do a lot of infrastructure projects across the UK, in Hong Kong, in the US. Um, I've worked with Balfour Beatty for six years and been a chart accountant for about 20 years. Um, and within my time at Balfour Beatty, I've worked in various sections, um, including our buildings team um, in London and more recently this week actually I've joined our highways team so um, we do a lot of things like transportation so roads rails um, railways sorry and airports um, we do power so we're doing Hinkley Point C in, in Bristol um, we're also um, we're sort of involved in the size we'll see opportunity that's um, you know due to come on board in the next couple of years um, so yeah, we also do um, buildings like student accommodation and, and public spaces. So um, we're involved in defence and education, healthcare as well. So yeah, so we're quite a big, um, big business in the UK in, in construction. I, I, I always remember um, seeing Balfour Beatty's name when I'm on train journeys. And it tends to be when I'm kind of going in and out of stations and then there is this work being done on the rails. And I see the kind of big Balfour Beatty signs on kind of either by the track or kind of on carriages and things like that. So that, that's kind of where my familiarity is. But um, when you, you kind of talk about that raft of different things from, you know, lots of kind of... Um, like when you talk about public spaces, student accommodation, um, power stations, um, a lot of that is, is a lot of that kind of um, government, kind of effectively government contracts that you're working with. Yes, they are. Yeah. Most of the infrastructure projects are ultimately fire through yeah, government funding. Um, you know, some of some of the um, buildings we do are you know, privately funded, but the majority of our business is, is through um, government funding, which sort of offers us offers us a little bit of protection or, or opportunity I suppose in terms of the projects that we're working on are committed and um, you know the, the government are currently in, investing money to you know keep their to, to support the economy and, and, and so we're well placed to sort of work with the government on that. Yeah I, I know from from my perspective in, in, in the industry in this industry in education um, for us, having government funding in the form of apprenticeship funding is something that, as you said, helps you weather a storm when um, other things are going on because there are certain projects the government wants to continue to fund. Um, but I, I do know the amount of red tape that you need to go through in order to actually 
win and service those contracts is is far greater than if it's in in other areas and i imagine with all of those projects that that you kind of you discussed they're going to be spanning a number of years and um from any student that's listening or, or any qualified accountant listening we will know that you know there are big chunks of syllabus that are geared towards how we account for those um, long-term projects in terms of the accounting reg uh, regulation and that. Is that something that is it's quite a big thing for you, kind of accounting for those projects on an ongoing basis? Yeah, it's, it's what we do. We Obviously, we do that. Most of our contracts will span, span a year, multiple years. So, um, yeah, we have to be careful how we take the margin and we, we are sort of yeah, used to it it's what we do but it is it is a bit different so previous to working within construction i worked in um the renewable sector locally for a small and medium-sized entity and we we too did, did have some long-term projects but I, I did find the the, the transition to construction to be quite a bit more diff difficult um it is a sort of yeah just a, just a different way of accounting obviously we have to you know account in line with accounting standards but it's um they do a lot of earned value reporting it's not quite just a just a PL, you have to sort of um, monitor the project in terms of how much money you've earned based on on the on the tender or the budget that you're working to so um it's it's yeah it's, it's good good fun and it's a, a challenge a bit of a different dynamic maybe to to source other other um sectors shall we say absolutely when you think that a lot of sectors it's just about that year's PL. And, you know, we don't we need to worry about these things that span multiple years. So it's yeah, very, very different accounting. I know our students um, always find that challenging. That it is, you know, why are we suddenly looking at these at these longer term projects and how we account for them? But um, yeah. I, I will come back to you in a, in, a, in shortly, Carl, but I just want to go through and introduce our other members of the panel. So our, our next panel member is Nicola Wisdom. So um, hi, Nicola. And would you Hi. like to again say a little bit about who you are and um, a little bit about the background of who you work for and what kind of things that you do there? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I'm Nicola Wisdom. I'm a finance manager for Anderson Construction. But the way our company is, is kind of into two different divisions as such. So we've got the groundworks and then the ones where we actually build our own houses. I work for the groundwork side of the company. I've worked here for about a year and a half now, so I am fairly new in construction. So I can definitely agree with construction accounting is so different to how I've worked in any other company. And I've worked in a varied number of places. Excellent stuff. So Nicola, when you talk, when you say groundworks, um, for the, the people that are have no knowledge of, of buildings other than the fact that they see them and live in them what do you mean by groundworks so we will kind of lay the foundations for different developers so we kind of like you dig the holes put the concrete in there make sure everything's up to kind of your regulations everything is in line and then we also will do your floors so make sure the kind of the bricks are laid correctly all of the insulation is done according to the regulations and the drawings that are provided to us by our clients as such Excellent. And I, I, I imagine because that's that must be the almost the first thing that happens. Yes, in any kind first of on site and last off site as well, because <laughs> we will come back and then do the gardens, the patios and stuff like that. So we literally go on at the beginning and we're on a project from start to end. Mm -hmm. So I guess if you if the amount of construction is, say, increasing or it's decreasing, you're probably the first ones to know that. Yes. Because if it, the jobs aren't there or suddenly there's 20 times as many jobs whereas you know I'll probably see it when the houses start 
rising out of the ground and you start seeing the building go, God, it's a lot of construction going on. But I guess you know about it a couple of years early. Yeah, not ordinarily, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and the final panel member is, um, is um, Paul Fox. Paul, you are a, a colleague of mine, but you're not here in your guise of um, a, a, an accountancy tutor. You're here because before you joined First Intuition, you actually work within construction. So uh, I don't know if you want to give a little bit of your background and kind of what it was you were doing there. Yeah, thank you, David. Yeah, so as you said, I'm currently a, a tutor here in Chelmsford, uh, teaching accountancy. But prior to joining First Intuition, I was the finance manager of a sort of medium-sized house builder in uh, the UK. And what we specialised in was what's referred to as build-to-rent properties. Uh, so imagine a, essentially a block of flats. Uh, we didn't call them flats. So that's uh, too too common a word they were, they were units or they were apartments but essentially it's a big block of flats um, and instead of sort of selling them off piecemeal one by one to individuals after they're built uh, we would sell the entire development to uh, a, a sort of professional landlord if you like um, and uh, they would then take it on as a fully rented out uh, block of flats uh, and so that's what uh, we did. We worked primarily within the, well, in fact, entirely within the sort of M25 circle. So uh, mostly inner London, brownfield sort of sites, uh, East London, a, a lot of uh, our buildings uh, uh, cropped up in East London over the years. Uh, and that's what we did. And the, and the build to rent sector, uh, I mean, it's, it's a f uh, fascinating, really. But from the finance perspective, construction, I can certainly, uh, uh, I can certainly agree with Nicola and Carl that it, it, it's different from anything I'd experienced before sort of accountancy wise yeah the day-to-day -day is normal you know a purchase invoice is a purchase invoice at the end of the day but um the way you have to value things and account for certain things is 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 really challenging uh and it's uh, i can sympathize with nicola uh, i only did it for two and a half years but i think i spent the first two and a half years of my two and a half years learning what i was doing <laughs> excellent and that that kind of where you say it was built to rent you were building some flats um, and you, at the point that you you had built them, you were then looking to sell them. So you weren't buying them as a contractor for a landlord's. Uh, well, no, I mean, it starts right at the beginning. I mean, you, 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 the weird thing about building, I mean, certainly what we were building, building flats, you start at the very end. Um, who is my customer? How much are they willing to pay? What do they want? Uh, and then you work backwards. And it's the, the bizarre thing. The very first thing you have to do when you build is to buy some land, of course. Um, but the price you pay for the land is entirely determined by what you can sell your final product for. So you start at the very end and, and um, we were what we refer to as forward funded because, of course, uh, construction it takes a lot of money. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to put the money up front and you either you generally either get that from borrowing um, or you can forward fund like we did. So you find your customer first and they essentially pay you up front to do the work. Uh, so much less risky from a finance perspective margins are a bit low of course but uh, but you do so you start you start right at the very end so what do they want uh, what will the local authority allow uh, how much is it going to cost me to build and therefore how much have I got left to offer them uh, for the piece of land in the first place and if it doesn't work it doesn't work but it's uh, it, it's kind of fascinating from that perspective so you, you start at the end which could be five six years down the line uh, which has its own as we know from accounting has its own sort of risks in it with time values and money and things like that um, but and that's what makes I think it's so interesting and so challenging in the construction sector. 
Mm. It's, it's something that we we often talk about or I often talk about construction from the point of view of kind of working capital and working capital cycles. And, you know, for most businesses, when you're dealing with kind of 30 day credit and inventory turnover days of 20 and things like that, you're looking at maybe working capital cycles that are 60, 70 days long. Whereas yeah. when you're buying a piece of land and then you're looking at a six year project to actually build something on it and sell it, you're looking at a huge amount of time that you've got cash tied up uh, and you know one of the things that I, I always kind of like you know think a little bit about is you know where does that working capital come from how is it funded you know is it through debt but I, I like the fact that you then said well some of that you're getting people to pay up front for or or you yeah. have the funding secured before you actually start that purchase yeah excellent well that, that's our our panel for today um I, I've got a few questions that I would um, that, that I'm going to be asking um, uh, kind of each of our panel members. Um, if there is anyone that's here, because we have got a, a, a kind of a, an audience here that's watching as well, and if any of the people in the audience have got any questions that they want to ask of the panel, please feel free to put them in the chat box. Um, I, I can't guarantee we'll, we'll be able to get through absolutely all of them, um, but I, I will try and ask any questions as they come through. Um, if not, then if you if I can't answer them and there are questions there, then I'm, I'm more than happy to forward them to some of the panel members afterwards to see if they could they they've got the the time to to kind of go through and answer any of them but the where we started all of our other other forms and where i want to start today is kind of taking taking us back to that that covid period where we had lockdowns and we had distancing and um we had a lot of disruption in every business. So I want to start by just asking kind of what did COVID mean for the businesses you worked in? And, you know, a lot of businesses were, oh, we all went home and worked from home. Uh, in the construction industry, I, I don't think working from home really works because I, I can't imagine you can build a bit of a house in your back garden and someone else can build it in theirs and you all do it via Teams. So I, I'm going to ask Carl first. So because you were doing these big infrastructure pro programs, you know, one thought is that, well, there weren't many people on the road. Surely you could accelerate the progress of those, but could the people actually get to work? So how did how did COVID impact the, the projects that you worked on? Yeah, so I think construction was one of the, one of the sectors which um, we you know we could carry on working during during the lockdown. So um, you know we we were we were impacted, but we could still do what we you know we could still construct. Um, we had to change. Um, the way we worked so we had to implement social distance and so um, in terms of the numbers of people we could have working in certain areas changed so that changed the program and potentially um, resulted in some delay because we couldn't be quite as efficient as we would do under normal situations um, so yeah so we could still work um, where we didn't need to be on site so um, if, if um, maybe for, for me as a project accountant at the time, um, I could work from home. Um, so where you could work from home, you we had to work from home. Um, but in terms of like our labour force, you know, the coalface that were they they were they were on site, um, and yeah, just changed the way that they work in terms of you know numbers really. Um, in terms of some of the assets that we worked on, so rail and roads, we could actually. Mm -hmm. um, do more work because like you say there was less demand on the highways at the time so we worked with our clients to see what we could bring forward and what you know areas of work you know we could do to make the most of that so that 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 proved to be an opportunity um so yeah so we're certainly certainly impacted and um you know but we, we sort of did the best we could um, in the circumstances and how did you find things like your 
supply chains reacted during that period? Because when, when we had our, our fashion panel talking to us, one of the, the issues that they said is, that during the COVID period they could have sold loads and loads of merchandise but half of it was stuck in China and they couldn't get it across to the UK because the shipping wasn't working the way that it should. With kind of construction materials were there any issues with being able to actually get the materials onto sites? Yeah I think it depends on the nature of the project so we did we did have experience where you know where it's coming from overseas you know the materials were there was there was potentially issues um but we, we try to you know, forward look where we can to get make sure the materials are where we need them at, you know, in, in advance of when the work is done. Um, but yeah, so, so where we were overseas, that, that was something we had to work on very you know, carefully and plan very carefully. Um, with, with the supply chain, we've got obviously a, a significant supply chain we work closely with, and um, that, that was all about the planning. Um, it, obviously stuff in the UK is not such a, wasn't such an issue at the time, but yeah, overseas was a bit more of a risk that we had to sort of deal with yeah and, and were you able to to kind of manage that or did you have to find alternative suppliers or use different materials or anything like that yeah I think yeah again uh, that's project by project so at the time I was in the buildings building section um so we we did have some overseas materials and you know we just had to take it by case by case really to see what we could do um to you know mitigate any delays really um so where where we were unable to get um supply we would look after look at alternatives at the time um so yeah i'm not got any specific examples but it's just it wasn't the norm we had to yeah think outside the box and make sure that we could get the materials when we needed them um at the, at the right sort of cost um, to, to mitigate both delays and you know cost impacts really but it wasn't it wasn't straight it was not straightforward obviously that's a challenge but um we fared pretty well overall actually we, we you know every, it was a difficult situation for everyone covid but um you know that we, we mitigated the issues wherever we could Mm, excellent. I, I do remember in the, the early days of COVID when we, we initially went into lockdown and there was a lot of confusion about which industries could continue. And um, I, I seem to remember there being newspaper stories about people travelling to building sites and whether they were allowed to travel to building sites or not. I know that was cleared up relatively quickly, but um, I, I, I know that, you know, it, it was almost kind of like a little bit of jealousy that, oh, that's an industry that can carry on when everyone else is, is being disrupted. But I'm just going to move across to Nicola. Now, Nicola, you might I don't know, kind of, I'm just thinking about your timeline and that you've been in post about 18 months. Is that right? A little bit less. I started last July. So I bypassed the entire COVID kind of situation at work. Right. But from having conversations with like different people in our team, mm-hmm. to be honest, initially, literally when the news came out, everyone was kind of put on furlough. All of our sites were closed. But within about six weeks, people started to come back. We had to kind of implement the kind of the signage and the PPE at sites to say like social distancing and then order all of our PPE. But within about six to six weeks to two months, everything was back back to normal as such with kind of like social distancing. But to be honest, for us, we're kind of, we were really fortunate of how quickly we were back on site and how normal everything got. It, it, to some extent and we're actually to be honest last year was one of our busiest years like even the kind of people in the processing team of you can see that the number of kind of like deliveries and tickets that we received from sites was doubling because of how everything was just so busy and everyone was like actually we're focusing on the houses we're trying to build as much as possible try and get as much in the ground 
So yeah. for us, we were very fortunate compared to other industries. Yeah, I, and I, I think it's something that I think we all probably saw during that COVID period is because people were restricted in terms of where they could go and had to spend a lot of time inside their own houses. A lot of people realised they didn't actually like their houses very much or didn't actually like where they lived. And um, it took a look around and there, there was there seemed to me to be a lot of people that were looking at where they were living and moving. And if people weren't moving, they were almost all doing some kind of home improvement. I know I had an extension done during the COVID period. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that you have had you know, a good year. In, in, yeah, uh, I think so. our 20, so we did, we, our financial year goes from like, Mar- from April to March. And the one that we had that finished March 22 was record high revenues for us. Like it was pretty much double to where we were the year before. Mm-hmm. And then the year before that as well, the, it was a very good year for us. <laughs> and, and Paul, I think that you're kind of in the opposite position in that um, you left the construction industry um, probably midway through COVID. So at, at the point at which you left, how did you feel that, that, that you know, your industry was coping with that? Uh, I mean, as, you, as we've alluded to before, construction was allowed to carry on. So once you had those sort of social distancing measures in place and additional safety measures in place, it was almost business as usual. Uh, I mean, head office staff, which obviously I was one in the finance team, we were more or less at home, um, you know, and we coped with that like everyone else did. It was a bit uncomfortable at first, but you soon get used to it, don't you? But um, uh, I think it actually coped pretty well. The, the, as, as sort of Carl alluded to there, you know, the, the, the big problem or the big potential problem was actually a lot further down the line. If your construction program is set back, um, then, you know, you've got all sorts of questions about, well, you know, how much can I sell this for now? Is this going to affect our contract price and working backwards? Am I still making a profit on this job or not? Uh, and if they are, we did still have a few uh, sites that were funded by borrowing as opposed to forward funded. And, you know, are we going to breach covenants and things like that? If we go on too long, if we can't sell these apartments in the time frame that we thought we could, what does that all mean? So again, starting at the end, but that end is potentially now a few months further down the line. And that's not because... You know, we had to close necessarily. You know, our construction sites closed down long enough to get the the, the safety measures in place. But it's not just uh, safety measures. It's you know, we're building upwards. We're building blocks of flats. The footprint, you know, relatively small, and in a London, which means that you're crammed in. You know, usually in between other buildings that are, are sort of trying to operate as well. And you know, we had issues like subcontractors and, and our workforce queuing on the streets to get into our sites and that's not untypical it's sort of half seven eight o'clock in the morning but we couldn't have that anymore um so we had to have sort of staggered starts and things like that and we also had to deal with you know you deal with a lot of subcontractors what are their policies you know if they won't come on site to deliver the materials then there's nothing you can do um so a lot of negotiation with subcontractors with our suppliers about what they're willing to do and what they're not willing to do and then reassessing all those sort of build schedules. What is it going to mean to my end product? When is it going to be finished now? Uh, how much of it can we catch up on? You know, a very early stage build, you might be able to catch it up once if you can see a way out of the, the pandemic at the time. Uh, but if you're later on in the build schedule, you're only supposed to have a few months left, then suddenly you've got a bit longer left. Um, so it was it's those sort of logistics that were the big challenge. And from a finance point of view, it wasn't too bad, to be honest. I mean, comparatively, at least, it was just a, a reassessing those timeframes and and looking at what it means. 
um, to our, our profitability and do we need to make any provisions now, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, but from the I think the biggest disruption was logistically on the ground because as I say we built upwards so you got a lot of people in a smaller space and that was uh, that was tricky. I suppose you, you were you're very jealous of Carl's railways where there's a lot more space. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, from a COVID perspective, yes, yeah, if you've got more people over a wider area, I imagine it's probably slightly easier. But having said that you've still you know every every build site has security and everyone's going in and out the same door and that that sort of thing presents its own problems because you can't you know we had fingerprint scanners and and a sort of turnstile system you can't use that in covid because you're touching something that someone else has just touched yeah um you can't use the turnstile you can't use the fingerprint scanner so how do you know the people walking into your site are supposed to be there uh and all things like that it's sort of almost got as you know, take the register in the morning almost uh, just to make sure that you didn't have anyone who wasn't supposed to be there. Those sort of logistics, I think, were the, were the, were the most tricky. I'm not suggesting any of it was easy by a long shot, but that was, I think, the hardest. It's really interesting, something that you said there, Paul. And I, don't, I, I, I mean, Carl can comment if it's, if it's not true kind of within his industry, but I've, I've worked before with, with long contracts that span three, four, five years. And the, the, the single thing that makes those contracts less profitable is if they're, they're stretched out and they end up taking longer. So a project that should take five years, that takes six years, even though there's no extra input costs that go into it, just that stretching of time, which could be extra financing for a year but all of the kind of the um the the support costs that go alongside that to make that project longer they're the things that just eat away into your margins or that's at least what i found so, and it's yeah interesting you say kind of a similar thing when you were looking at those builds going on even if it's only a few months starts to make those projects look maybe like they're less attractive than they did when you started them yeah quite yeah that that is that is the experience we we had and um like Paul said when you're in construction you are constantly sort of looking at the end of job forecast and um, during a period of COVID that's there's always a lot of moving parts within construction at the best of times but then when you get COVID in, in, in impacting you it's, it is making those forecasts even more difficult to predict um, and you know where we are where we were experiencing delays we may have been protected in terms of time but not necessarily cost in all instances mm. so you would you would experience you know the premium cost going on longer impact and you know impact in the end of job position um i see leah's um asked the question about this um pp and signage issues and whether you know it did Im impact margins um that there was additional costs there you know related to that in some in some contracts we would have had um protection and, and in others mm -hmm. not 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 so much so yeah margins would have been you know impacted in certain areas by by COVID, both with delays and also, um, you know, addition, additional associated costs um, and, and material inflation over that period as well. Yeah. Um, David, um, from the point of view of your clients, so we're looking at lots and lots of smaller construction firms. I guess probably some of those kind of subcontractors that Paul was talking, Paul was talking about. Um, I know we can't probably generalise because every business is going to have its own view in terms of risk and what decisions that it chooses to make. But what were the, the things that you found happened to those construction clients that you've got over that COVID period in terms of how they worked and how successful they were? I think, um, to be honest, when it started, um, I remember it, it. It was just carnage and utterly horrific because um, had like, you know, kind of guys that usually on site um, kind of, Big chaps literally crying, going, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, 
how am I going to survive this? What are we going to do? And to, to start, it was all about, well, like what we're going to do in terms of cash, because how long do we know? How long is this going to go on for? Are we going to get any help? So a lot of what we did was then kind of looked back and went, well, we need to get some funding fairly quick um, from the government, uh, which did come relatively quick. But in the early days, we had to then give projections around well, how much money they're going to make and not knowing how long COVID was going to be a thing for made those projections really hard because early days we didn't know when they could get back on site and then when they could exactly what Paul said um, problems with supplies and materials and subcontractors not willing to come out of the house that then had a knock-on effect with all of it so early days it was utterly horrible um, but then as Nicholas said it started to become then well okay so we can go back on site but just we need to work out how we're going to do it logistically. So instead of having 10 on a team, they had two or three spaced out. So they could still get the work done, but it was just slower. So I think what happened from what we saw was all of this created almost like a, a bubble of demand um, for the work to be done. And then over the probably the next year or so, um, pretty much every single construction client we had just absolutely went crazy with the amount of work they had. Um, so most of them um, did really well. So, you know, the turnover went up, but also their margin improved too. So the amount of money they had left, um, profit they had left was, was much better. So it was a good thing for them, but yeah, it was hard work for them as well because some of them had to fundamentally change the way they report their numbers. Um, we had some clients that were, kind of doing stuff after the event and kind of looking backwards the opposite of what Paul said um kind of with them it, it was more like we can't carry on doing this we have to do it a different way and we ourselves implemented um, new systems to kind of go this is the way we're going to deal with this now so every day we are going to look at your numbers we're going to process your data because we, you cannot function business in the same way now it, it didn't work so that's helped our business because now we're much closer to, to a lot of the clients we, we act for and the team as well, because they get to kind of have a chat with the guys on site and, and talk about how the business is doing much more frequently. Um, so the start was terrible. The middle was, was tricky. <laughs> the end of it has worked out pretty well for, for most of the clients we've got um, and for us, because it's enabled us to do the stuff we wanted to do. But we're constrained with with kind of people not being able to get on Zoom or not wanting to get on Zoom or yeah. kind of using technology and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it was an interesting journey. Um, yeah, I think actually it still feels a bit like we haven't really seen the downside of it, which we were expecting um, mm -hmm. kind of after that. Uh, so I feel like that's coming. Yes, I, I very much remember those early days when it was that the world was falling down and um, no one knew what was going to happen. We were just told to go, go home and the government very quickly announced measures to protect employees um, through the, the furlough grants. And I think a lot of that is because they didn't want a massive, massive um, amount of redundancy to suddenly happen so to protect jobs they brought that in and it was later that they started bringing out kind of loans for self-employed people and grants for self-employed people and within construction I know you have a lot of small contractors that are self-employed that didn't get that initial 
you know, that initial confidence from being awarded the, the furlough grant. So I can imagine it was a, a huge period of uncertainty for a lot of people who, um, you know, maybe, you know, don't have the same kind of financial knowledge that we have in terms of, you know, how their businesses are operating. Really interesting to hear you say that those, those people, those smaller construction firms, um, improve their margins over that time period. And it's something that I know that when, as I mentioned earlier, we had an extension built at home. We also had someone that came around and quoted to do our garden, which we never got done. Um, but when we spoke to those people, there, there were some of them that were really honest and they said, look, I am booked up month after month after month after month. Um, you know, I can do it at this time, but my rate's going to be really high because I'm not getting any kind of break if I take this work on. And, you know, they were telling, they were being quite honest that our rates are going up. Um, so it's no surprise to me that those margins increase. But um, I, I'm going to start with you, Dave, because I think you can probably um, kind of address it from your perspective. Then we'll move on to kind of Carl and Nicola and Paul afterwards. But um, how is the impact of inflation impacting those firms now? I, I say that because we we had our, our builders that did our extension had to come back to um, because there, there was an issue with one of the windows that, that was put in that they needed to take a look at. And. They, they said to me, you're really lucky to get your extension done at the time you did, because we got it done just over a year ago, well, more than about 18 months or so ago now. And they said, if it was done now, then the material cost would be double the material cost that you actually paid. Now, for your clients, are they able to pass that on or are they having to now see their, their margins reduce? And to be honest, the, the, we had really frank discussions with them and kind of said, you've got a decision to make. The materials are going up ridiculously quickly so i remember um clients kind of giving quotes and going this is valid for like a week after that's going to go up again because the cost of materials from um the merchants was just going up so quickly that they had to do that so they had a choice to make either do they suffer it or do they go look we're gonna have to put the price up and most of them kind of went with you know we've got families to feed with Got bills to pay we can't stomach a reduction and this isn't it's kind of almost beyond our control so we have to pass it on so a lot of them did and and what kind of happened is is because we've got some clients that do domestic and some do commercial and the domestic stuff um people stayed in their houses they didn't want to move they just done their houses up so and also furlough created this weird little bubble that effectively you had income to 80% of what you used to, but you had none of the costs. So for people traveling, so I live in Colchester, which is in Essex. So what we've seen here is that all along from London to here, a lot of people didn't move, but they just done work on the house um, because they used to travel to London. So their train ticket didn't cost them anything. So they pumped that into the house. So they were willing to accept higher, higher costs um, from our clients and get the work done, which then ultimately improved their margins. So I think, um, yeah, that, that's kind of what happened, I think. Excellent. Um, moving right to the other end of the scale, Carl, I know that you um, you have to leave fairly shortly, so I'd, I'd really like to hear kind of your thoughts. When you're dealing with those you know, big projects that are maybe three, four, five years in duration, and you priced them a year and a half ago, um, how, how is kind of inflation of, of, of those kind of materials impacting you? Have you been able to hedge against it in any way or are you able to pass that on or are you just taking a hit to margins? 
Yeah, so again, it's a bit of a combination, really, depending on the nature of the, the type of work and contract. So um, at the moment, like I've just, like I say, recently joined a highways uh, team. And um, in, in, in some of the contracts there, we do have a lot of an inflation clause within the contract. So we will assess, you know, what the, the change has been since we tendered. And then that will like rise either annually or biannually. Um, so in that instance, there is, you know, an element of protection. Um, the other end of the scale is maybe a fixed price build where we have committed to a price with our client and you know we've taken on on that risk and in, in that instance what we try to do is do very early procurement so we might try and procure say 90 percent of the the build within say the first three three months um and, and mitigate the risk then through through the you know, working with the supply chain who then you know have to try and you know come up with agreements with their with their suppliers to try and fix this in um, you know, I suppose a concern would be that you know, it, in, inflation is significant and it's what pressures are being put on the actual supply chain and can they, can they withstand those sort of pressures or, you know, are they, are they financially at risk as a result? And, and, and then obviously, which can then you know, impact, impact us and the project and also the supplier. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag where we can, we try and project ourselves through the, through the contract, but um, in some instances, that's not possible. Um, so we're working with our supply chain, and in some instances, we you know we might not have that protection, and it will have an adverse impact on the um, end of job margin. And when you're purchasing your your materials, how how far forward are you able to buy? Um, I don't. Sorry, I don't know the answer uh, answer to that, David. So you know, yeah, we've got we've got um, you know, long standing. Um, suppliers in, in in all areas to be honest so we will be you know looking to you know when it comes to materials i'm sure there are um you know ways that we try to sort of lock things in to help us but i don't know the exact details yeah, no i was just wondering if there were if, they, if they, the market was uh was such that you could forward by six months or, or anything like that. I know when we had our, our food forum, um, the, the the people that were dealing with kind of long-time purchases of ingredients were saying, right, it's May now, we're forward buying for quarter one of 2023, and we're agreeing yeah. prices right now. And they were telling me some scary figures about the food prices that they were forward buying already. But I didn't know if construction materials worked in that way or if it was more the case that you're dealing with, you know, what the price is now and maybe forward for a month or two. Yeah, I, I think the periods that we would be able to agree will, will be shorter. Um, I know, like some of the tenders we're now trying to pull together, are just it's really difficult, and that you know the, the length of time that, that a supplier or a material provider are willing to commit to is a lot shorter than it has been. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's quite difficult to get certainty regarding the tender, mm -hmm. um, and it's gone up maybe from initial initial you new know, positions that you know, we're then having to work with the client to make it affordable, which is. Mm -hmm problematic at the moment okay and i'm guessing paul from your perspective um you you got out of construction before yeah. we saw rates of inflation but have you got any input in terms of you know in terms of you know trying to protect yourself against price rises of, of materials uh, no, it's sort of similar to Carl, really. I mean, the way we, we work is we start at the end. What, 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 what do they want? How much can we sell it for? And we work backwards to what we can offer for the land. So in, in essence, those calculations will inevitably end up with a much lower price 
being offered for the land because we're going to use up more in uh, materials uh, and then we, and, and we've got less left to offer for the land but then but those conversations will have already happened by the time we're actually getting materials on site and we're building and those that transaction will have already occurred so you know the contract price is fixed we get the quotes as early and as possible and, and have them fixed in place as long as possible but I imagine there's a lot of uh, you know, impassioned phone calls happening now to suppliers. And as Carl said, your last thing you want to do is then end up with all your suppliers going out of business because you squeezed them so hard uh, that they can't carry on uh, or that they stop, stop um, you know, supplying to you uh, because you're no longer you know, a profitable customer of theirs. So, yeah, I, it's it's a tricky one. And I don't certainly don't envy the people that I left behind at the moment, those that, uh, that are negotiating the contracts. Uh, I'm not aware that we had any sort of inflationary protection in the contract. We may have done. I'll be honest, that wasn't my area. But um, I should think even any sort of inflationary protection probably hadn't factored in this kind of rise quite so quickly. So even if we did, I suspect they're being tested to the fullest. No, I, I, some some of the numbers that I've seen in construction for different different items, I mean, have been eye-watering levels of inflation. Certainly more than the two three percent that I think we've been used to over the last ten years or so. Um, I think that yeah, I don't know if many people would have had that factored in because you think, well, inflation is normally about three percent, so we'll whack a three percent margin in there, uh, and that will cover any kind of increase. And now, if you if you're looking at Kind of like double-digit inflation, or, or many multiples of double-digit inflation in some cases. It's yeah, not something that you maybe would have thought about. Nicola, what's your experience there in terms of in terms of material costs and uh, kind of inflation? Or is it, is it not affecting you? No, it is really really impacting us actually. So for us, we we're basically a subby. We take on the liability, purchase the the concrete, the bricks, the kind of all of that kind of stuff for when we're doing our work so we've seen over the past probably since maybe august july time everything has gone up massively and in some cases the contracts that we have with our clients we've actually got like a fixed price term so we're having to go back and say we can't fix price anymore we can't do it for the year or two years that we were doing we can fix it we can fix our costs for six months but then we're going to have to Get, go to the table and actually have a discussion about okay we need to increase our cost because our, our what we're being charged has increased and to be fair to some of our clients we may be in a fixed kind of a fixed price contract at the time but they're coming back saying we understand the cost that you're kind of incurring we're we're going to come to the table with this kind of amount and say you can charge us an uplift on materials because of because of the world right now mm-hmm. Excellent. Thanks for that, Nicola. I, I'm, I'm actually going to um, ask my next question to Carl, just because I know, Carl, you need to, you need to leave in about nine minutes. Um, I think we, we've, we've certainly seen the kind of inflation being talked about as an issue um, for probably the last 12 months. I think it's been something that's really been on our, our radar here at First Intuition. It's something that when I speak to clients, they, they've all been talking about. But for longer than that, um, and this is probably going back at least in fact, more than two years now. The number one concern that the firms we work with have, have raised with us is the, the shortage of labour. 
and um, the kind of the reshaping of the labour force post-COVID with um, a, a proportion of the population um, deciding not to return to the workforce. And I know the government are trying to do lots of things to attract people that maybe have taken early retirement to come back into the workforce. And that, that kind of almost redistribution of what was the kind of hospitality trade where people that had worked in hospitality had then found alternative careers, which then gave a shortage there, which is pulling people from various different industries around. Have you found, Carl, that there's been a kind of a shake up in terms of or, or any pressure in terms of labour resources for, for, you know, for the people doing the work for you? Yeah, la yeah, labour is a massive um, issue for us that we have to constantly sort of plan and um, work with. Um, you know, we had obviously we talked about COVID, but we had the Brexit issue as well in terms of you know foreign foreign workers and making sure that they you know we still had that availability. Um, but yeah, on on our projects, you know, it's obviously one of the fundamental you know res resources that we 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 require and. Um, yeah, it's a constant battle to make sure that we've got the right numbers to hit the program, and we have to clear, carefully sort of forecast what you know what skills and the levels that we can attract to to deliver the projects to make sure that we basically hit the program. Um, you know, we've got projects in certain cities at the moment that there's a number of projects going on, and you know, it's a bit of a there's a lot of competition between you know projects in certain regions to you know attract that 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 labour force, and and again that can potentially drive up costs and you know contribute to this you know, the inflation issue that we've already already discussed so um we try to attract you know lots of lots of staff we do um, and labor we do a lot of training to try and upskill people to you know get them through through the business to make sure that we've got the right levels at the right you know at the top right time really um so we, we we also do a lot with um, apprentices and graduates trying to get we're a lot part of this five percent club where five percent of our businesses um you know graduates and apprentices apprenticeships that we try and get them in at the right right stage of their careers and then you know, um, you know a long-term career with us where, where we can um but yeah it's very there's definitely a shortage and yeah it's very competitive market and um, trying to keep people is, is, is difficult yeah, we, we see that in, in our industry and in accountancy. Um, it, it's true of virtually every industry that I speak to. Um, they, they'll talk about skill shortages. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, obviously, you know, the business that I run, I, I'm always beating the drum for, for apprenticeships and, you know, how if, if, if there isn't the talent out there, sometimes you need to grow your own talent. And, um, you know, it's, it's really good, always really good to hear of industries where they're really taking that on board. And, you know, if you are then, you know, looking at that recruitment, it, it's not something that helps you overnight because you're taking on people that can't do the job straight away, but it does you know, help you to build that, that, that resource that you need um, in, in the future. Nicola, is that similar to your experience? Have you noticed anything different with, with your workers? So it is completely, it is exactly the same for us at the moment. We're having to kind of, if we find a good, like a good subcontractor, we're keeping them at all costs because they are a dime a dozen at the moment. So when you find someone that's, good experience we are holding on to them as much as possible and there is such a shortage so for us it is very kind of important that we hold on to the skill that we have we do have apprenticeships kind of going on at our sites and stuff like that but that's more for the kind of 
not the brickies and not the concrete and stuff like that so it's these kind of people that we're trying to foster the good relationships with and ensure that they don't want to leave our sites and that they are staying with us excellent david i'm for you if you're dealing with kind of again smaller firms are you seeing a similar sort of thing impacting the businesses that you that you do work for yeah yeah we've seen it um like subbies come requesting uh i say requesting demanding um rates that are just ridiculous um and then what that's done is then it's pushed the cost on to either domestic or uh, commercial and uh, because there's no they can't stomach that level of of cost so they have to push their price up and it's interesting what nicola said because i think we've seen that with a lot of our clients where they're decent subcontractors to bigger uh, house builders and then they've kind of stuck in there even though the prices have gone up because the bigger house builders need them um and yeah we, we've seen it massively uh, through pretty much every client that we have that has subcontractors um it's interesting because we in our business too we've had to change the way we do it as well um because we couldn't get the level of kind of uh, skills that we needed so we, we've introduced like a pod system now where we have an apprentice then an accountant then a client manager in one pod um and and the reason we've done that is because the kind of the talent that we needed at certain levels just just doesn't exist um unless you want to pay ridiculous money to almost poach off somebody else which just doesn't happen so that's helped us massively because then it gives as carl said it gives kind of a career path to everyone that comes to us they, they can kind of there's off ramps at different places um but they can go as, as far as they want to so yeah massively helped us um and i think without doing that i don't know where we'd be to be honest because the amount of work we have now we just wouldn't fit without that system yeah i i think that that's something that i've heard on a number of occasions from from definitely different accountants but other businesses as well where they have made changes as a result of everything that's happened over the last two three years and i i, I mean carl mentioned it earlier and i'd almost forgotten that we'd had brexit at the beginning of this period um but it, it and, and it's that that's something that has impacted and, and shocked our workforce considerably because you know there are lots and lots of workers that, that that worked in the uk that were from the european union that are now no longer in the uk which is causing shortages you know i've heard a bit causing shortages definitely in hospitality um but but also now now you know within construction i've also heard it's caused shortages at um kind of the executive level of FTSE 100 companies where you've had a, a French CFO of a FTSE 100 company that has decided that they no longer want to be based in the UK, causing shortages at that level. So you kind of forget that that's happened in the light of having COVID disrupting everything and now having a, an environment where we've got um, yeah, inflation that's at a, a, a you know, record high levels in, in living memory. And um, the other thing that I, I wanted to mention, I didn't know if it's um, something that you um, have had much kind of um kind of feedback from your clients about but the, the other thing that really concerns me or would concern me if i was in construction would be those kind of rising interest rates and you know money becoming more expensive um so if you are a um a, a firm that needs to borrow money in order to actually start capital expenditure or you need to borrow money in order to fund it and get someone else to do it um i see that as causing an issue is that something that you've seen at all with any of your clients david starting to so um we haven't really seen it yet but 
we know it's going to be a problem. So we've started talking more and more about it and, and almost making clients a bit paranoid about what their company looks like mm-hmm. and the credit rating is for the company, what they do with cash, how they're monitoring it. Um, so we've we started that because we just know it's going to be a problem later on. Um, and what we don't want is a similar situation with some clients where they struggle to get some of the initial COVID funding because mm-hmm. they didn't have the right numbers in place. Like the, the kind of outlook on their company wasn't right. So we wanted to change that now rather than kind of, you know, similar to kind of for a mortgage. I guess if you go for a mortgage and you've got one payslip, it's probably unlikely that you're going to get the mortgage. So we wanted to get it right well before they need it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And, and yeah, let's say it's, I, I always look at eye-watering numbers when I look at, at big construction projects. And I guess you're looking at kind of a, a slightly smaller scale, but you know, those, those interest rates are going to impact anyone that's going to be, because very few people are going to be cash purchasers for a, any kind of you know, capital expenditure or building projects. And Nicola, when it comes to, to Andersons, you're dealing with big developments, and um, do, have you heard or, or, or are you aware of any impact that interest rate rates rises are going to have on your business? We've not had anything kind of discussed as of yet, but I think everyone is expecting it. We are expecting probably from June next year onwards, quite a lot of kind of quite a big impact to be honest with you but at the moment quite a lot of the houses that we've worked on there's quite a few that have been forward sold because we will work with like housing associations so we've got some sites that uh we're building say 300 houses that are all sold already so that impact for us isn't too bad at the moment but i think it, it will be an impact come 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 the end of some of our projects we're going to be sitting there and it is going to be a massive impact for everyone Mm-hmm. Is there you know, any view that at any point that properties are going to become so expensive to build that it's not worth starting the projects because you're not going to make any money from them? I don't think that's any that's a part of like our conversations at the moment. But I I do understand your point. And there's actually like new legislation and stuff coming in for actual concrete. And it's kind of, it's thickening the foundation. So that's going to be more cost for us, which we're going to then pass on to the developers. Then that's going to increase the housing prices. So there are those kind of impacts that are likely to happen over the coming years. But we've not had anyone say anything like that to to us as of yet. Mm. Because with the, with regards to those kind of like you said that there's new legislation around the thickness of concrete. Yeah, it's the foundations. Right? Yeah, so right. it's it's to help with insulation to actually help the houses that yep. when they build upwards are more energy efficient. So you're not mm-hmm. losing as much kind of heat through the bottom of the house, if that makes sense. Yeah. So with because I've I've also heard kind of things with new builds in terms of the way that they need to be heated um it's changed yes it's um like heat source pumps instead of like gas and stuff like that which are i think the initial outlay for that cost is a lot more but Mm. i think overall the benefit not just for the for the environment but for the actual house owners is a little is quite good because it's it's not as expensive as gas and oil i believe i could be completely wrong but that is what i'm kind of getting from From now, as I understand it, you're absolutely right. It's it's to, to do with saving energy and making it a more energy efficient way to heat people's houses, um, and uh, uh, you know outlawing certain types of heating 
and um, it's then it's got to have this more efficient type of heating, which is environmentally going to be better. It's going to be cheaper for the eventual residents in there. Uh, but I guess you've got that. You mentioned things like your um, the, the the concrete and the amount of concrete that you need in your groundworks. I'm sure there are other regulations out there as well that are constantly changing. And a lot of it with that green agenda of trying to make us um, more energy efficient. Now, is, is that something that is going to have an impact on your margins in terms of making sure you're complying and developing new building techniques, probably, and all those things that happen when you're bringing new things in? I'm not 100% sure at the moment, to be perfectly honest with you. So the foundations, that kind of regulation isn't coming in packed um coming in until kind of mid-june next year so at the moment the likelihood is we're going to have the developers say to us build as much as possible before the regulation comes in because it's it's more cost efficient to do it right kind of increase our turnover and our output at the moment and then when we get to next year and this regulation comes in place then we kind of reassess what we're doing then okay Excellent. And David, you, you deal with small businesses and I see small businesses all the time. I've got friends that run their own very small businesses. Um, how does a small business keep up to date with all of these regulation changes? Is it just forcing them out of business and just playing into the hands of big players or you know, how, do, how do they actually keep up to date with these things? Um, I think some of it is, to be honest. I think some of the what we've seen, uh, because no, with construction, what we see is, is there's regulation, huge amount of regulation just to do the job. Then there's a massive amount of regulation to complete their tax return or to complete their accounts. Um, and what's happening, is, it, there's been more and more over the last few years. But going forward, there's going to be even more regulation coming, which means everyone effectively has to complete their tax return every three months mm-hmm. and put in numbers to kind of go, this is what we've earned. Um, it's called making tax digital and it should have happened pre-COVID um, it didn't so it's been put back a few times but what I can see is going to happen is that is going to make decisions for people that go I don't want to do it's too expensive for me to run the kind of admin and finance side of my business so I'm just going to jack it in um, so I think there's going to be some of that um, to flip that round I think what they're going to do is work for some of the contractors that we have which is going to make those contractors stronger. So I think the ones that have their finance section set up and ready um, will probably benefit from some of the smaller contractors um, kind of just stopping. So that's what I think is going to happen because it's it's going to happen because some people are keeping their records on, you know, back of a fag packet and hoping for the best. That can't continue. Mm-hmm. Um, so the people that are on their numbers daily, they're going to be the ones that benefit from this, I think. I, I guess, is, is is that going to be a generational thing? Because the people that I know, that I mean, I, mean, I, I know a, a kind of a father and son who, um, for some reason, they've got separate businesses, although they both operate doing the same thing. And they deal with um, kind of like high grade fencing uh, and quite often kind of like the, the fencing that you get around um, kind of like the 4G football pitches and things like that. So they, they put those kind of fencing up and um, the, the son does all of his finances, runs his entire business using his mobile phone. So everything is apps, it's taking photos of invoices, it's taking photos of staff, it's using his apps to send an invoice to a client. Um, and his dad does everything, as you say, on the back of a fag packet. Um, and 
under make attached digital there's one of them is going to just adopt to it straight away because it's like i'll just do what i continue to do for access and and the other one is is just going to be stuck so is is it kind of almost a generational thing where we're going to be saying to a group of people that have been doing the business for a long time that if you can't adapt to it then yeah you're going to have to either get out of the business or go and find a job and maybe it's only kind of a, a younger generation that are going to actually continue to, to run those kind of businesses potentially um i mean we've we've got um a bit of a mix actually because some some clients kind of go look i don't the finance side of things i don't i don't want want to deal with that i'll pay you to do it and they just give us the entire thing so that that kind of solves the problem there because or didn't they wouldn't be able to do it on, the, on their own in much the same way i would not attempt to build a house myself so <laughs> stick to what you're good at i guess yeah um so I think, yeah, that's what some of the older generation of clients that we've got have kind of decided to do. They've gone, look, there's going to be a cost to it, but the cost means that I can continue to do what I'm good at and make a decent margin on this and, and potentially sell the business because of what I've done over the years. Um, so I'm not even going to attempt to change the way I do the kind of finance stuff. I'm just going to outsource the entire thing. I, I really love the point that you made there about um, you know you would never build a house, and I think it's I, I don't I, it, it, it's almost something that that there are a group of people that think oh I can have a crack at my accounts, and you know they, they might run a restaurant and go oh, I'll have a crack at my accounts like well I wouldn't go into a restaurant and go look I'll cook the vegetables I know how to do that you just do the other stuff, um, you know likewise you know I wouldn't say oh you're building a house tell me, well, I'll do the front wall because I could do walls I'm all right with that I wouldn't I, you know you would leave the professional to do the thing that they're really good at and I think that you know a lot of businesses you know if, if they heed that advice say right I'll let my accountant do the work that they're good at I'll focus on the stuff that I'm really good at and you're right it's going to build a stronger business that yeah hopefully will be worth something at some point in the future if they ever did want to sell it. Yeah, and, and you know we've we've started to do it because we want we want all of the clients that we have to weather the storms that are coming because there will be more storms coming. We, it's it's a certainty it's going to happen. Yeah. So we want them to survive, and the way we kind of think is that we want to make it not about one person. We want to make it a business that it has a finance function that has a marketing department that has operational kind of people in place because if they don't then when the next storm comes, it, it's just going to mean it's going to fall on one person or it just won't happen and they will struggle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and we, we've had two of our guests have had to have had to drop off. So I just want to thank Carl and, and Paul for their time today. But I know that they had kind of pressing things that they wanted to go to. Um, there's, a, there's, there's something that I did kind of want to mention um, or, or kind of want to want to ask. Um, and, and it's something that I, I recognise, Nicola, you might you might not be able to answer or you might not want to answer. But there, there's a report that I read uh, uh, kind of earlier today that said that something like more than half of construction companies are at significant risk of closure. Um, based on their current finances. And I think a lot of that is the looking at their finances and looking at the, effectively stress testing them against interest rate increases and um, you know, inflationary increases and, and staff issues. You know, if all of those things you know, continue to go the way they're heading, these are the businesses that could be in trouble. Um, 
do you think that we're heading for some kind of some kind of issue within construction or, or do you think that you know we've all so far talked about construction having had a very good last couple of years and you know continuing to be good despite those kind of pressures uh, do you think there is going to be some shock in the market in the in the next few years or you know is that something that, that you're not planning for at the moment don't to be honest with you I'm not 100% sure I think Mm -hmm. for me from where I am fairly new in the construction industry Mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't have the kind of expertise to kind of Mm -hmm. be able to see those signs to be perfectly honest with you I I wouldn't be the best person to answer that question I think someone that's probably got a little bit more kind of background in construction would be able to answer that a hell of a lot better than what I can <laughs> no that's fine one of the things that I've noticed with with big firms and I don't know if this is true of you is that um with larger construction firms because of the way that they're structured by using lots of subcontract labor they've got the ability to expand quickly but also contract quickly if things if things become challenging is that how Anderson Group are, are set up um so we're kind of we have our subcontractors for like our kind of the brickies and people like that but then we have quite a lot of cis guys and then quite a lot of guys that we do employ by like two but like we employ so it is it's probably like 50 50 mm-hmm. so that just gives you that kind of that ability to flex up and flex down so if you if you if work explodes you've got the ability to take people on there and then when if things contract you've got the the ability to to kind of rationalize your uh, your business yeah, I would say we do have that ability, but from kind of from what I've seen in the kind of at the, over the past like 18 months or so, that's not something that we would tend to kind of focus on, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And David, what are, you, are you looking at your, you know, your industry, not necessarily your clients, because, you know, your, your clients are obviously very well managed financially by, by your team. But is it something that you, you're concerned about the next few years in terms of construction? Or do you think that, you know, we're on a nice ride that's going to continue? Um, I think based on my experience, construction is the first industry to be hit by any recession. So we're almost waiting for it to happen because um, okay. we, we thought it was going to happen a year ago, if I'm honest. We, we kind of thought it was... Mm-hmm you know, it, it was really going to suffer and it, it kind of didn't, it did the opposite. Um, so we felt pretty paranoid that it's going to happen at some point. So we've been gearing everyone up to kind of go, look, we need to be able to flex this from where you are, like what would happen, almost stress tested, exactly what you said, like what would happen if yeah. you dropped 10%, what would happen if, you know, you lost your key subjects, what would happen if that employee decided he wanted to go somewhere else? Um how how would we fix that how would you continue so yeah we've been i guess the clients are now paranoid but that might be a good thing um so we've been gearing them up for it already um i think there's going to be more that we need to do definitely um but it's definitely conversations we've had which um yeah haven't been good haven't been nice conversations but they've been necessary i think yeah having kind of you know, lived through the the recession in kind of 2007 2008 and uh, having taught people then that worked in the construction industry um i think the firms that that weathered the storm relatively well were the, the firms that were very prepared for it um and you know I, I know personally because the first budget that they cut 
as things got difficult was the training budgets with lots of people saying I'm not going to be able to continue my studies for the next year because we're not spending anything but those firms came back relatively quickly and, uh, and it is you know particularly with you know, Nicola with Groundworks it's you know that, that's the first part of construction that will spring back to life if there's any kind of downturn so uh, you know it's, it's interesting to kind of hear, hear your thoughts there and um, I'm going to bring things to to a close there, but I just wanted to to know, Nicola, is there is there anything that kind of in terms of the industry that you're now in, anything that kind of I guess surprised you when you joined, anything that you thought, wow, this is a bit different to anything I've seen before. One thing I think I don't know whether it's kind of like across the construction industry, but what I found is our commercial team is very involved in actually with finance so it's kind of like you work so closely with your commercial department and what everything is kind of interlinked and we're all kind of on the same page and we work very everything you just for me I've never seen a commercial team so involved and it's, it was very different for me I, I, I love that because so often in industries um, the finance function is almost seen as a cost center that sits somewhere over there and just counts the beans um, when we know as accountants that you know the value we can bring is being embedded in the business and you know helping different companies, so it's, it, it is really encouraging to hear that you that that you are you know almost at the centre of the business and you stay involved with the other teams there to you know because if you're there you can help them to make the right decisions when they need to make the right decisions you can help them to determine if they're doing the right kind of things and I guess David you'd probably say that you're your clients that, that embrace what you do and see it as something that can help enhance business, you know, probably do better than those people that just treat you as the people that do their tax returns at the end of the year. Undoubtedly. Like we've seen the, the number, so we see, we tend to see those, those guys quarterly or monthly and we see the numbers. I actually had a meeting yesterday where these, these guys have, have kind of doubled in size in two years. Um, and, that level of growth isn't normal. So we know that that's not going to continue, but we know that it was managed in a way that they're comfortable. They're not working ridiculous hours. They're not solely reliant on one contract. They're not, they're not kind of gambling on one thing happening that they've spread risk all over the place and they're comfortable and they've got a business that we think and hope is, is going to carry on regardless of what happens. Um, and, and to your point, like, I think if there is a downturn, there's going to be a reduction, obviously, but mm-hmm. it's the ability to bounce back quickly that I think helped a lot of our clients in COVID um, and that will help them again. Yeah, it's, it's that, that ability to respond to those changes, do, do the right thing quickly. And, you know, we, we all, everyone that's still standing now has had to have done that over that COVID period. Uh, and yeah, we, we may well need to do it again. Um, if, if things if things get difficult now it, it may not come to pass um, someone has asked um, a, a question that I'm, I'm just gonna just gonna raise but I, I know we kind of touched on it briefly earlier um, have you noticed any any kind of impact of uh, it says here can you touch on construction and borrowing trends anything we're seeing or noticing now so I, I guess the you know the, the implication I've got there is we're seeing that at the moment mortgages are being pulled um the mortgages that are out there are at a much higher rates um that will be both for domestic and for commercial borrowing and have you yet been able to say any impact of that kind of that restriction of borrowing and the increase of cost of borrowing on any construction work or projects i think um 
I've seen it with uh, some borrowing, not necessarily just construction, but um, it's definitely been harder for clients to borrow money. Um, the like affordability tests, and they are much more stringent than they have been. Um, so it, it's harder to obtain finance and takes a bit longer. Um, I mean, COVID, the bounce back loan, that wasn't that wasn't a stress test. That was just sign a bit of paper and have have some money. Um, but the other the other forms of funding for COVID, they, they were they were OK. But yeah, now it's definitely it's definitely more questions being asked and more kind of data is being looked at um, than it ever has been. Yeah. And Nicola, have you seen anything at all? I knew about to say something. No, to be honest with you, I haven't, but that's because I'm not involved in that side of things, to be perfectly honest with you. So from the only thing that I do hear is the kind of conversations that kind of different people are part of our department and stuff talking about their own mortgages. We've yeah. not, I don't, I'm not a kind of, I'm not part of the business that does any kind of like we need like funding for our developments or anything like that. That's very separate to where I am. Mm. And we've not had kind of that those discussions in kind of different commercial meetings yet. To be honest with you, but I, I, th- I think those those discussions that you've heard amongst your your colleagues, um, I, I've had the same discussions with my colleagues. I've had the same discussions with my family. Um, I, I think that the Google Mortgage Calculator is probably one of the most used kind of like apps on the on the internet at the moment. I'm on it all the time because I'm looking there and saying, right, this is my current mortgage. I, I know what I currently repay, but if the mortgage rate went up by two percent when I come to renew, or three percent, or four percent, how much extra am I paying? And it's like, wow, that's an eye-watering increase when my mortgage is up for renewal in a year. So then I start playing around with, well, what about payment terms? So what if I extend the payment terms? What's that doing? How how do I have to get my next mortgage so that it's manageable and fits in with my current budget? And I'm certainly kind of sitting at home thinking, I'm not moving in the next couple of years because there's no way I could take on a bigger mortgage with the uncertainty that's out there. So I'm not going to be you know, knocking on a house builder's door saying, oh, I'd like to look around your new developments. Um, because I, I, it's just not in my mind at all. At the moment, it's kind of almost financially battened down the hatches, make sure that you know, you're living within a budget and make sure that when my mortgage does come for a renewal, then um, it's at a rate that I can actually afford to, to be able to continue to pay my mortgage. So you know, those kind of conversations to me are always those things that start to make me think, well, is there going to be an issue somewhere else? Um, but, you know, the government have reduced stamp duty, which um, last time they did that had a massive impact on house purchases. So, you know, I think the government are committed to trying to, to you know, keep growth across all sectors. So it's a wait and see, isn't it? Something, you know, it, we don't know what's going to happen, which is, you know, sometimes the, the beauty of what we do and sometimes the scary thing. Um but I am going to bring things to a close. So um, I, I want to thank both both um, David and Nicola who are still here for your time today. Um, thanks to Carl and thanks to Paul for um, who have now left for, for everything that they put in. I've been absolutely fascinated and um, it, it's you know the kind of conversation that and I, I could just ask you so many questions about what you do because I'm always fascinated by how businesses run. But um, thank you very, very much, David. Thank you, Nicola. And to everyone that listens, thank you so much for downloading. Thank you for listening. Um, if you could leave a review, it would be absolutely amazing. And um, if you um, have um, if you have enjoyed it, please share it with you know any of your friends that are studying, any of your friends that work in accounting, any of your friends that work in construction. Okay, but until next time, stay safe, everyone, and keep listening. <laughs>